Kia ora koutou and welcome to New Zealand Anesthesia, the podcast linking Aotearoa anaesthetists with what's going on across the motu and beyond. I'm Dr Morgan Edwards, NZSA's president and host of the podcast, and it is a pleasure to join you. Whether you're at work, in your office, your commute, or on your daily walk or run, we hope you find this an insightful and informative listen. There is an intricate link between the environment and health. At a basic level, a healthier planet will contribute to better health outcomes for future generations. And as doctors, we are constantly considering and developing based on what is best for our patients. When it comes to the environment and environmentally sustainable healthcare, we have access to a plethora of information and many varying approaches. At times it can be difficult to navigate and quickly becomes challenging and overwhelming. However, it is important that we continue to have open discussions on the subject, as we do in this episode with the NZSA's Environment and Sustainability Network, Dr Sally Malpas. Here in Aotearoa and within our anaesthesia community, we are very lucky to have a group of colleagues across the motu with the knowledge, passion and leadership to guide their workplaces, the NZSA and our specialty as a whole when it comes to activities surrounding climate change in healthcare and anaesthesia. As I mentioned earlier, our guest Sally is the chair of the Environment and Sustainability Network and one of the network's founding members. Sally moved from the UK to Aotearoa in 2009, pursuing her career in anaesthesia. Her specialty areas include upper GI hepatobiliary anesthesia and obstetric anesthesia, where she is practicing in the Waikato. She is a mother of two, and her young children are a big driver in her environmental pursuits to act now towards preserving what we can for future generations. Kia ora, Sally, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, it's good to be here. It's nice to talk about um, environmental sustainability in this space. Well, it's an incredibly important thing to talk about as well. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to kōrero with us all. Now, anaesthesia here in Aotearoa has come a long way in reducing its carbon footprint. Can you share some of the biggest changes made or perhaps those you and the network are most proud of? Yeah, I, um, I think the establishment of a truly collaborative network is something we're really proud of. Um, I've been told we're one of the most active groups in the NZSA and barely a week goes by where we aren't communicating, sharing ideas and asking for advice. Um, we all acknowledge that making change is hard, um, but doing that solo is almost impossible. Um, the strength of a network like ours is that within it, we're lucky to have so many people with such amazing and varied skill sets. We have those who are particularly talented writers, public speakers, researchers, all with slightly different areas of interest. Through this network, uh, members have felt empowered to make changes in their departments and in doing so brought environmental sustainability into the forefront of their anaesthetic practice. Um, I think the biggest changes we've seen in people's practice as a result of these discussions are the reduction in desferone use with more of a shift towards TIVA. Uh, people are more aware of the harms of nitrous oxide. We've seen a continued decline in its use outside of delivery suites. We're seeing more companies listen to our demands for sustainable procurement and taking responsibility for products at the end of their life, with more companies thinking about recycling and reprocessing equipment. That's so incredibly powerful, isn't it? And I really reflect on the power of the network so often. I'm on the Obstetric Anesthesia Network, and it's just the ability to collaborate with colleagues and then bring conversations to the table where you can actually talk about what is otherwise happening across the motto. So it's not just your idea, it's your idea with backup from what's happening elsewhere, really reducing that siloed approach that we can often feel, well, and that we often are working in. Yeah, absolutely. 
So now looking at Desflurane as a win, why should we be proud of what's been achieved in doing our part to clean up health care? Well, I think we've got to accept that we only really have the ability to enact change within our own scope of practice. I think um, we know that the contribution of Desflurane to climate change is small. We know that, but I think we need to look at our individual practice and see where we can make change that can improve our planetary health. Um, I think Desflurane is a pure example of that. It's a, a very small contributor, but we know that there's alternatives out there. And, um, and I think by seeing the massive reduction in Desflurane, we've actually, what we've really seen is we've seen a society, we've seen a group of people come together and I suppose what they've that group of people have done is, is they've realised that there's, we can do better. They've they've improved and they've reduced their desflurane use because they want to show that we understand that there's a there's a contribution we, we're making to this and we can we can do better. I really took your point before around um, the movement away from volatile use, and I've had so many conversations with trainees recently, realizing that some of our trainees have never actually used a volatile. Um, in their career and that is one of those times where I'm starting to feel quite old um, as an anaesthetist because I certainly um, have spent a lot of my career using volatiles but obviously stepping away from specifically desflurane use um, in more recent times. Um, and then thinking about you know what now, what, what, what are the current key areas of focus for the network? Um. So we've got a few key areas of focus at the moment. The big ticket projects are probably nitrous oxide and pharmaceutical waste at the moment. So we've had success in exposing the dark side of nitrous oxide. We're working hard to get to fatter order to reduce our emissions um, through both getting our articulated systems looked at closely for leaks because we know that that's where most of the nitrous oxide escapes. Um, and maybe considering some some hospitals changing over from a reticulation system if their use is small onto cylinder use. Um, and we're considering nitrous oxide destruction technology in our delivery suites. Um, we're also aware we've got a really big problem with pharmaceutical waste. Mm -hmm. um, this came to the forefront of our mind when we see a shift towards TIVA and we see more propofol being disposed of. In New Zealand, we have no incinerators, so we have no option for true drug disposal or destruction. Um, our pharmaceuticals either end up in landfill or they go into our waterways. Um, we'd like to see a better solution. As to what that looks like, um, we're working on a few solutions. Are there any particular developments or changes that you hope to see? I have a global vision um, rather than individual little things. Um, I would like a healthcare system where we consider the environmental costs as much as the monetary cost, that we look at products life cycle analysis when we purchase equipment, that we uh, reduce product consumption, we bring back some more reusable equipment where it's appropriate. We have nitrous destruction technology as usual practice across our hospitals. Um, see more green spaces, more buildings with natural light, infrastructure that allows people to commute rather than using their private cars. Um, but really just to see more people coming up with more ideas as to how we can work together to improve our planetary health. Such incredibly good points and something that I've been reflecting on in the last 
few days because we at Waitamata are building a new hospital um, on the North Shore site and there's a body of work by our charitable arm um, wanting to build um, an indoor green space, the largest indoor green space that would be in Aotearoa um, but looking at the fact that there's absolutely no funding for that um, and looking at that, you know, so it's a fundraising initiative to try and create that space because of the benefits for patients but also for colleagues um, having a huge indoor green space as part of a hospital um, would be phenomenal for the people of Waitamata but that is a blueprint moving forward for hospitals to prioritise green spaces would be absolutely phenomenal but it's that balance isn't it of trying to get funding for things that um, they cost more money and prioritising that benefit um, that is um, so incredibly important, but has not been at the forefront of decision making until now. Oh, 100%. Um, everything is driven by monetary costs. <laughs> and the only ways at the moment that we get um, environmental wins are if we can prove that the monetary, you know, that the environmental cost equates to monetary savings. And um, and that's difficult. That's really, really difficult. Um and there's some obvious stuff. There's, you know, there's obvious wins where, you know, you turn a light switch off, it costs them less money to run the electricity and it saves the environment. You know, those simple things like that are obvious, but it's difficult when uh, the financial gains don't come for years and years and we have a current annual budget. Um, I don't have a solution. No. And it's not only an annual budget, it's, you know, it's the... Um the three-year political cycle um, and absolutely humans as a as a species needing to step back and look further than just those short-term cycles of decision making. Um, I think sometimes a barrier to taking action can be how overwhelming it can all feel. Um, and I think there's so much information out there on what's best for the planet and what might be harmful for the planet. How do you navigate this and how we can know what to trust or what perhaps we should question? It's really hard. Um, I'm not sure I'm any expert at navigating this myself. I think it's okay to question everything. I think it's another strength of a network like ours that I have people I trust and that I can safely ask. But I think first of all, we've got to um, address social media. We've got to be careful and we've got to be mindful of the dangers of social media. Um, the algorithms are set up to provide personalized content, and these can be easily biased. Um, it can lead to a distorted sense of reality. It can reinforce existing biases, and it can limit exposure to diverse content. Um, we saw it happen with COVID. We see it happen with climate change. Um, the difficulty comes when we get information from people that are scientists, and they're educated, and they're often more educated about these issues than we are. Um, especially when they present a very different perspective to the one that we've understood. The Dame Julia Slingo talk about desflurane at the AAGBI conference is a really good example of this. Um, mm. And it definitely stopped a lot of us in our tracks and made us think, and it made us talk. Um, but what we realised is these discussions are actually a good thing. Talking about these issues is healthy and it's useful. <laughs> um, what these discussions made us realise is that we did actually understand it correctly. Her information was the same as ours. It was just presented differently. Yes, scaled against our global emissions, Desflurane's contribution to climate change is tiny. We know that as 5% of a nation's carbon footprint comes from healthcare, 4 to 5% comes from medical gases, of which 90% is nitrous and the rest is volatiles. Doing that maths comes to 
0.015%, which is the same ballpark she quoted. Mm. Um, we have plenty of data and research to show that desplane is more harmful to the environment than the alternatives. But we could say the same with most areas of environmental sustainability. You know, we can use transport as example. We could say, why bother riding a bike to work as the individual impact is so small? But then you think, well, I'll add up that. If I rode every day for a year um, and I, then I multiplied it by the number of people in my city or in the world and and the impact becomes huge and um and we have to accept it's easy to break down anything into such small elements and think that the contribution is trivial but then all those small elements have to be added back up again um and i guess it's the opposite concept of marginal gains where if we break down everything into its component improved it by one percent you get a significant increase um I think it's important to remember that we can only influence, as I've already said, our own scope of practice. It's reasonable that as anaesthetists, we try and clean up anaesthesia uh, the same way agriculture and electricity generation need to clean up their practice. Yes. Uh, look, I, and I, I couldn't agree more with you. I had a really great chat with Rob Burrell back on the first podcast episode that we did, where he talked to me about those individual choices that we make in our lives as people, not necessarily as anaesthetists, um, and how you don't need to do everything all at once to be making a meaningful contribution. So you don't need to be eating plant-based and riding your bike everywhere, even in the pouring rain. Um, and if you choose to drive one day for convenience or if you choose to drive every day, that doesn't mean that you don't care about the environment. But it's making those small incremental changes that do overall have meaningful um, benefit when we collectively make intentional choices. Um, I think that's really, really important when we look at our practice as anaesthetists. Um, and, you know, I look at the the small changes that we've managed to make in um, my department at Waitemata with our recycling of syringes and our recycling of paper and then how if I go and work elsewhere um, in the private sector and when everything goes in the bin and how quickly that bin fills up over the day, um, that's a really visually... Um, apparent way of seeing the contribution that we can make as individuals just on a daily basis um, and those things do you know individually add up um, as a profession not over, only just over the course of a day but over the course of a year but certainly the course of a career well it's a lot to think about I think and I think you know, the the Dame Julia Slingo talk has certainly thrust Des Florain um, and our practices and anaesthetists back into the limelight and I agree with you that it's only a good thing that we do have these conversations and we should continue to have these conversations um, as departments in balancing um, you know respectful conversation and platforming of people with knowledge um, like Dame Julia Slingo but also you know people like um, Associate Professor Jody Sherman and the amazing work that that you know the group that she's part of does as well. Um, and thank you for your time today and coming to have this corridor with us, um, and also for all of the incredible work that the Environment and Sustainability Network does. It is you are right, um, one of our most active networks, and it's one of the things I'm most proud of about um, the anaesthesia community um, in the NZSA. So thank you so much for your work as chair, but also to the network as a whole um, for all of the passionate debate and mahi that you do. You're all the welcome. It's a pleasure to be a part of such an active group. And as I say, uh, my name is written as chair, but uh, I am a small part in a, in a fantastic, fantastic group of people. 
And thank you so much for joining us today for this really important corridor about the Environment and Sustainability Network and the amazing mahi that they do. NCDSA has nine networks that span a whole array of anaesthesia subspecialties. If you or somebody in your department would like to get in touch, please reach out to presidents.anesthesia.nz and see if we can connect you with the network that is relevant to your specialty. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Until next time, mā te wā. Thank you.